Welcome to The Journey of a Singer with me, your host, Nick Pritchard. This is the podcast where we dive into the fascinating and unique journeys of those individuals within the creative industry. Today's guest is co-founder of Grounded Protein Shakes, Bryn Ferris. Grounded Shakes are setting the new standard for the health and supplement industry by cutting out all the fillers, chemicals, and processed materials that are found in excess of so-called health supplements. However, creating a sustainable product with 100% natural and organic ingredients comes at a cost. There is a reason why the big supplement companies are cutting the corners on their products with cheap fillers. In the podcast, Bryn explains these difficulties and how Grounded are getting round them. Whilst Grounded have had great success in the UK's most desirable distributors, such as Holland and Barrett and Waitrose, it hasn't been an easy journey. Bryn shares Grounded's journey from recipe making in parents' kitchens to becoming a high street name. So sit back and enjoy the journey of a singer with today's guest, Bryn Ferris. I want you to know specifically why I really wanted you on the podcast and also for the viewers and listeners as well. So I'll give a bit of background. When I was 17, I started working for a supplement company called Feel Free Nutrition. I remember it well, actually. I remember because you were selling it when we were at uni. Yes. <laughs> I remember it. Your guys' year was my only master's year at Exeter. So you guys... Yes. So you, what, I think it must have been your first... Yeah, what was your first year? Yeah, yeah, you were all freshers. Yes. Right, so mm-hmm. we went to uni together. Mm-hmm. You were doing your master's. I was in my first year. And... Prior to that, one year before, I was working for the supplement company Feel Free Nutrition. And a year before that, I'd come up with my own concept called Microwave Muscle Meals. And my friend who was on the podcast on Sundays, a graphic designer, he made the graphics for it. Mm-hmm. We were in um, his mum's kitchen, like putting stuff together, trying Love all it. the different combinations. We wanted a product that was easy, microwave, in it goes, mm-hmm. but was high in protein, had creatine in. At the time, those were the the buzzwords that hadn't quite come out yet. So this high in protein thing wasn't like mainstream, but we were as athletes looking to get something easy that had high protein in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I always had a like passion for that fitness and industry. Both of us were rugby players at uni, so we understood the importance of certain nutrition and sometimes how easy it is to have a protein shake as opposed to cooking a full meal. And as my commission from this company, Feel Free Nutrition, the guy was like, look, we've got a load of discontinued stock. Do you want that as your commission? And it was a warehouse full of the stuff. I remember a picture going on the rugby group being like, I've got, <laughs> you know, these like 10, 20 kilo bags of protein, you know, it's so cheap. It was exactly that. Like it was the raw material that you put into <laughs> all whey protein, like pure whey protein, 25 kilogram bags. And I was selling it at like a, incredible deal you couldn't get anywhere else and the guys basically got one per household and I sold it on and in my room at uni there was like stacks and stacks <laughs> of protein and supplements so it's always been something that I've been really interested in mm. I started working out when I was nine years old really young started lifting weights when I was 13 14 and I've always been massively into it and I've, I've seen how the fitness industry and the nutrition industry has changed mm. and what the new buzzwords are what the new fads are mm-hmm. so that's my background as to why I really wanted to chat to you because we know each other personally we went to uni together and you did something that was so different from other people at uni and you went off and did your own thing and I found that so admirable to start with because you could have easily gone into any financial sector consulting sector in the city I don't know about any I don't know how to go anywhere but, but <laughs> you were a smart it. guy you were a smart guy you did your masters at Exeter and you decided to go ahead with Grounded. So mm. do you want to tell us how that started? Yeah, I mean, it, 
there's so many different things that play into it. I mean, the, the biggest one is my co-founder, Gabriel, who's a long, long time friend of mine. Uh, we were at school messing around in class when we were 11 years old. So, you know, fast forward 21 years later, whatever it is, um, we're still friends and we spend pretty much every day with each other working. Uh, it's probably why we don't see each other much on the weekends now. But uh, so I finished Exeter uh, with a sort of... The, the aim was to go into investment banking and I sort of laugh at that now because as I was doing my applications, I think the feeling I had then, I now recognize that as sort of dread. And I thought of saw it as stress of getting a job. I think I, looking back, I realized that that's probably not what I wanted to do. And I went for a drink with my friend Gabriel and he was running a juice company called Grounded. It, we, we sort of hashed out the idea that I'd come in and help with some of the numbers side of things, like fresh off the master in finance. So initially, was he paying you as just an employee? No, not or, at all. It was no, a friend's favour. I said, look, I, I, will, I will come in and, and look at your margins, look at sort of how much things are costing. Uh, just look at your numbers because it wasn't his sort of, that wasn't his language. He was much more on the sort of branding, marketing side of things. And, and actually looking back, such an important part of starting a business with someone else that they have a different skill set than you, you, you have. After a couple of weeks, we were like, hey, look, we could make this a bit more official. We sort of did with the clear aim, okay, we're going to see what we could do with the juice product. And if that didn't work, we'd have a crack at something else. And the, the juices were great. They were low sugar um, juice. We used sort of citrus fruits, uh, ginger, turmeric, that sort of thing. They were very, they were very, very popular in stores they were in, but commercially they weren't a great product. So we, we made a very small margin on them, and, and I think in food and drink, really thirty percent of the minimum. And it was a well, well, well below that. Um, so we, we sort of spent nine months trying to work out, okay, what, did it make sense to increase the shelf price or decrease the cost price or try and do both? We tried to do all of those, and none of them worked. And to move grounded onto the next level where we felt we wanted to make it a sort of household name, that's always been the aim. Um, it was going to have to be a new product. And I think it was more evident than it ever had been that people were looking for more natural products. I think that was the sort of early signs. I think when you're right in the thick of it, you see those first. So we started looking at the protein shakes and it was like, uh, I mean, I, I come from my side of knowing protein relatively well and knowing what's in the market. I was like, there's, no, there's nothing that's plant-based and I don't have dairy. Occasionally now and again, I'll sort of, you know, on a late night, have a pizza or something, but I really, really try and avoid it. Um, doesn't make me feel great. Uh, and Gabriel's the same as well. So it was, we were sort of honing in on this plant-based space. There were a few plant-based protein shakes. We definitely weren't the first, but none of them did taste well. They were all, they were all, and I use this point when we talk about it a lot, but they're all dairy companies who trying to rush a product to market. Um, they think they know how to make a protein drink, but what they don't realize is that what they don't realize enough is that whey protein's an easy one to flavor. It's got high in protein. It's creamy naturally. You look at plant-based stuff, it's totally different. You know, it sounds similar, totally different. Tastes like plants, can be often very grainy, has lower protein, and it's very difficult to mask that taste. And we felt we could make one that tasted great, um, had a sort of solid function to it, i.e. 20 grams. And it seemed to be on the shelf. That was where we needed to get to. And if it was below that, people would use it as a sort of Achilles heel. Mm. Oh, you're plant-based, you've got less protein, I'm not going to buy you. An interesting part of the story is we spent 18 months making the products ourselves. And I read that you, that was kind of a mum's kitchen situation where you two were mixing the pot and figuring out what ingredients, what consistencies you needed to make that product. Very much so. I mean, it, it's ridiculous looking back on it, but we'd been to Hong Kong, we'd got a very small amount of investment uh, on a plant-based business accelerator for plant-based businesses. In our space, you often go to a flavor house or a food tech consultant and they make it for you. And not only did we not have much money to do that, but every time we did approach someone and have a discussion, it was always like, well, you'll have a problem with shelf life or you'll have a, your protein will end up, you know, sticking to the bottom. So you need to stick this in it. You stick a thickener in, put a preservative in. And it was like, 
this isn't the product we're trying to make here. We're trying to make an actual product and we're trying to make one that doesn't have all this crap in it. We bought a $20 uh, blending machine. Literally the first one we ever made was uh, maple syrup, not the first ingredient we put in, but yeah. one of them, uh, maple syrup, uh, I think it was my protein, pea protein, unflavored, which is what I had at uni, which was utterly atrocious. And, and that was sort of the start of the journey of making them and sort of th a thousand iterations later. Um, and we could work really quickly. So I was on the laptop, I made um, uh, an Excel spreadsheet calculator, which basically meant that you could put in any amount of ingredients. So 20 grams of sunflower seed protein, and it would kick out how much protein, how many salts were in there, how much fat. Mm -hmm. So basically, you could work off exactly what you wanted the nutritionals to look like. Is that why it's 490 milliliters? Four, no, worked backwards. No, there. so 490 mils is because we wanted to leave a little bit of room in it to shake it. With a product like ours, it doesn't have any thickeners or emulsifiers or, or anything to sort of bind it all together. It needs a little shake before you drink it. You, you'll have drunk one before, so you don't actually have to drink, shake it. But we thought, you know what, it makes some sense to leave a little bit and, and we'll say on the smart. back, give it a shake. Basically. That's smart. That's really smart. And I think people don't realize if you're not a nutritionist and you don't have the information of each ingredient, then you're relying on marketing in a way. You're relying on mm. this country's policy to say high in protein, okay, it must be high in protein because this country has standards. It has to be a health product. But what people don't realize is in this day and age, there are so many, and I'll just rattle off a few, like you can manipulate the protein content via nitrogen content to make it sound like it has more protein than it does. You can add L-glutamine, which is an amino acid, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's lacking all the other amino acids. So whilst it might have high in protein, it's it pretty much on. pointless. Like the, the absorbability of it is... There are so many different things, and, and protein shakes are a classic. Like you can say high protein, and then it's got a shit ton of sugar in mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the binders, you've got the guar gum, you've got the stuff on there that you read, and you're like, what the hell is this? Um, and if we like, I've got the product here. I had yeah, two today because <laughs> I wanted to refresh my memory good, on good advertising. Um, and in all seriousness, this like you're my mate but this isn't a plug like i've genuinely had the interest on having you on today to discuss because there isn't a product like it on the market where you can look at the, the ingredients and go okay i know what that is i know what that is mm -hmm. if you look at any of the sort of plant-based other brands out there they often overcompensate by putting in loads of sweetener or a lot of flavoring mm. i think they're selling less and less of those products mm -hmm. because people are looking for more natural products yeah they're looking for more natural and the consumer sometimes knows best, like in this country specifically, we went through a phase maybe maybe 20 years ago where fat was bad. It was mm. like the buzzword was get rid of saturated fat, get rid of fat. Fat was the enemy. Then what these products did was they got rid of the fat, yogurt, for example, mm -hmm. fat-free yogurt, fat-free yogurt. And what they did is they added a load of sugar. Mm. Then people started to cotton on. Well, hang on. There's a load of sugar, sugar in this. Yeah. Sugar then became the enemy. Yeah get rid of the sugar, get rid of the sugar. So then they added sweetener in there. Yeah. Then you've got these yogurts that are saying fat-free, sugar-free, no added but sugar. What's in it? And then you're looking, well, how can it taste nice? Yeah, Where's yeah. the catch? Yeah, yeah. And you read the ingredients and it's got a bunch of chemicals, which we'll get onto later. And then people are now starting to cotton on to the fact that the chemicals are probably worse for you. In fact, almost mm -hmm. definitely worse for you than, than just sugar. And sugar in itself isn't bad. Mm. Fat, saturated fat in itself is not bad. 
but a, a processed chemical in itself is always bad. Is bad. Like yeah, how can yeah. how can you not realise that? Yeah. I think you've nailed the evolution of how we see nutrition, at least here in the UK and definitely in the US. And it it sort of it, it swings around about it, doesn't it? Because anything too much of anything is bad. And mm-hmm. I think we've taken a line. Nature knows best. Don't mess with it. You know, we've got a tagline. If it, you know, if you mess with nature, it's probably going to mess with you at some point down the line. And it's like why sort of change something that's not broken in that sense it's like you look at parts of the world who have a very minimally processed diet don't eat loads of processed foods and their life expectancy is far higher than it should be in comparison to sort of the healthcare they have available mm-hmm. you look at the western world with amazing healthcare and you know we've got some of the lowest life expectancies people dying of stuff that they didn't die of before because mm. we're, we're eating all the wrong things and consuming too much of it it's um, and it's actually hard in this country you and I are both busy guys. Like mm. our schedules are packed. When you're out, like what are you eat? Like let's say you haven't meal preps, right? And you're out and about in town. What are your options? To it's get very difficult. It's. I mean, honestly, it, you know, you you go to somewhere like I don't know, it, passing through an airport. Let's say for example, it, it, it's protein bars. It's pretty much it, really. Especially if I'm not super dialed in with my nutrition and I'm trying to limit putting on weight i'll go let's focus on the protein because the fats and carbs sort of tend to take care of themselves on the whole and it's basically protein bars this is an embarrassingly crap diet when i'm out and about um maybe it's a meal deal now and again i'll try and go to a leon get some you know decent food but they're not always you know that's not always an option it really comes down to the fact that those spaces are very expensive spaces to get into so therefore big only bigger brands end up getting into them on the whole and bigger brands often don't care about the ingredients and they're run by people that don't really care past getting a product out quickly i'm the same as you like if i'm busy i will get we've got some of these protein bars here now Mm. Low carb protein bars, mm. they call them. And when I'm out, I'm like, okay, look, I need a snack. Mm. I don't want to have a Mars bar. I don't want that sugar. I don't mm. want that fat. But I want something that's very quick, tasty, higher protein. And like, this won't be on camera, so people won't see it. But the ingredients in these low carb bars, which I have, like, I'll be just dead honest with you. I've eaten a shit ton of these. But you've got in here, so you've got the protein blend, calcium. It's all coming from milk, basically. Whey protein milk. Then you've got a ton of sweeteners. You've got stuff that I can't even pronounce. Palm oils. Um, all these, like, chemically names. But then the one that we've got to look at and we've got to chat about is polydextrose. I think that's the one. So... Do you know what? Is that, that's, a, that's a sort of a filler, isn't it? Dextrose. Yes. It's a sort of empty carb, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So poly, polydextrose is what gives it the name low-carb. The reality of that is it's like there's no calories in it and kind of just like passes through your body, but it hasn't been properly researched on what that is doing to the body. And Mm. they talk about Mm. how sweeteners make you crave more sugary things, for example, Mm -hmm. disrupt your microbiome. Part of the reason that this says don't eat in, what does it say? Here there at the bottom. Excessive consumption may cause laxative effect. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So on a protein bar, it says excessive consumption may cause laxative effect. (laughs) you basically might need to use the toilet more than you need to. It's so scary that they, I mean, I, I'd, I'd sort of really wince if I felt like we had to put something like that on our packaging. I'd go, God, who's, is anyone going to a, a health disclaimer know, on a health I product. Know, I know, well, I, I was, we were having a chat with a retailer this morning, I was saying it's mental how many, in, in the health drink space, how many products have such unhealthy sort of ingredients in them. That um, that's the poly. I believe that's the polydextrose. I, I, I think it's passing I, through your body. I, I think it is. It's a product we've never. I agree. We'd never worked with. So I don't know much about it. But I remember there was 
you see when you're younger on those like you know maxi muscle website dextrose sort of like get the carbs in but they are just empty basically they've got nothing in them really yeah a lot of products that they probably shouldn't ingredients they shouldn't be using um but but you know uh, take a step back and a non-biased view would be well they're appealing to one part of the market who mm. just want they want to see protein they don't want carbs they're sensitive to that they don't care about the long-term health imp implications enough to make sacrifices there and then to have a healthier product but perhaps understand they might need to have more calories to do that mm. and when you make a product ours it's got around 320 340 calories people think that's a lot for a drink but it, it's 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 just what's in the product it's not like we're adding calories mm. we're just using natural ingredients the, the fillers aren't there to to thicken it out or yeah. anything like that and I mean we haven't touched on it yet but the ingredients is it 9 or 10 you've got I think it's 10 from the mint and 9 on the chocolate because we've got a um, essential mint oil that we use that's been yeah. uh, cold pressed I believe from uh, mint leaves nice. Gable is Mr. Ingredients so I'll yes. do my best I was gonna I, you know I don't want to put you on the spot because I know that it's funny as a co-founder of a company you, you can't get too deep into something because you have to have a good overview of everything and that's the same with CEOs like the point of a CEO of a company is they have an overview of mm -hmm. the company. They have good knowledge, but if you ask them direct specifics about things, sometimes they they're like, "Well, look, ask the guy who's the mechanic doing the car <laughs> yeah. what what's going on there." Yeah. But if can we quick fire a few of these ingredients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for if it. If you know them, you know them. If you don't, you don't. Go for it's it. Not the end of the world. But so you've got the spring water in there. Is spring water is from a well where we make it down in Somerset. Okay, so that's that's from Somerset. Yeah, and it's is your main factories in Somerset. Main factories in Somerset. Wicked, love that. Uh, plant protein, sunflower seed, and pea. So both of those we buy from Europe. Uh, interesting story there, actually. We we never thought we'd be affected by uh, Putin invading Ukraine, right. um, as, as bad as that is. Um, but it really affected us massively. So Ukraine's bed, bed, bread basket of Europe. They make a huge amount of grain produce that we consume in, the, in Europe. And, uh, you know, sunflower seeds being one of the grains, as it were. Um, we were told at one point that the prices were looking like they were going to go up like 500%, which would be sort of, you know, company ending. So we're like, Christ, we've got to buy as much as possible here. So we bought a huge amount of it. Uh, and then Sod's Law, we made change to our product where we use less of it than we did. Okay. And so we're sitting on a lot of sunflower seed protein, okay. put it like that. So if anyone needs some sunflower... <laughs> Let, yeah, sell them my way, please. Um, so that's Europe-based. Europe-based. Pea is also, peas grown in Belgium um, and then transported to the distribution centre by bars, which is quite cool. And then you've got the coconut cream. Coconut cream is, I believe, from Indonesia. Um, sort of famed for their coconuts, as yeah. Thailand are. Would we love to get it closer? Yes. Do coconut trees grow closer? Sadly not. Um, we've been told, and it's one of those things, you know, just, uh, it's an equation far beyond me, but we've been told that even shipping it from there has got less carbon emissions than most sort of intensely farmed dairy. Because um, that is something else you guys are focused on as well as the emissions and the recyclability and the sustainability of, of the products and the ingredient. Massively so. I think it's a sort of guilt factor that if you're going to start a a company that's going to sort of mass produce or make a lot of product you want it to sort of cause as little harm or do sort of leave as little footprint as possible yeah. um we pay a bit more for these cartons and they have a plant-based plastic cap it's made from an oil squeezed out of wood pulp um they're definitely not cheap in the grand scheme of 
uh, cartons. But I think for the story we're trying to tell and what we're trying to do, and guys with the brand, yeah, the yeah. consumers trying to speak to it, 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 it massively plays into that. Um, and they're great; they look great on the shelf. I think I don't think that's just me being biased, but they look different. We're in a space where everyone is in yeah. shrink wrap packaging. You know, yeah. they've almost got this kind of like old school milk carton look to them. We we hear that all the time. Yeah. I'm so glad you said it because it, it's not it's not by accident. We wanted to appeal to people who aren't just uh, they, they drink dairy anyway already rather, and we right. want to appeal to them. And I think especially older generations who've had more of those milk cartons at school, that's the easiest way to sort of slip in and pull them over to the plant-based side, if you will. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be that they go full plant-based. You know, I'm, I'm not full plant-based, but it just means that they are that little bit more likely to pick it up off the shelf. And just quickly, I'll rattle off the others. You don't need to get into yeah, detail sure. these, but raw cane sugar, sunflower seed oil, yep. cocoa powder, pure vanilla yep. extract, and Himalayan salt. I feel like they're all kind of explanatory. But the sunflower seed oil was yeah. the one that I had a question over. Shoot. How do you get that in the product? So it's interesting because sunflower seed, if you just take it in general, sunflower seed oil in general, or at least one sunflower seed oil that you can get, and I'm not an expert on this, so I won't go into too much detail, but gets it under a lot of fire because it's, it's a bad for you in some capacity. It's highly processed, highly refined. We use a cold press one. Literally, okay. seeds are crushed. Uh, it's filtered. We, we then use it. Is it heated? No, it's anyway. not heated. No, it's cold pressed, so it's a cold chain throughout the... So that was, that was my question. So... Based on what I know, I'm not a nutritionist, but apparently a lot of these seed oils, when you heat them up, they become rancid and then they, they go through like four different heating stages. Yeah. And by the time they've got into the product, sure, you can say it's sunflower seed oil. Yeah. But at that point, like what, how can you call that sunflower seed oil when it's been, it's been basically destroyed, vaporized and turned into something else? So, so essentially, we, I think the, the view we take on all of our products is that we use as minimally processed one as possible. So we could use a pea protein that is come off uh, the back of making pea noodles and it's essentially an offcut of the product and it's been super highly refined, but we don't. We use, we use peas that have been milled, yellow peas that have been milled. Um, it, it's the view we take whenever we ask for an ingredient, we ask for the processing sheet that comes with it and it sort of gives you a sort of from farm to mouth process of how they treat it, what they do with it, what are the processes involved? And it's an immediate no if, for example, when we first started working with a coconut cream, we're like, wow, this is like, it's like super like smooth. And we're like, this is all a bit weird. Can we have the sort of the sheet? And not even in the sheet, just in the email that they sent us, they said, oh, we add a anti, I think it was an anti-foaming agent into it, mm. which you don't have to declare <laughs> but it makes it more, I don't know, it's mental. You don't have to declare, but it makes it smoother. And we were like, no, that sort of defeats the point of it. And I think, you know, the, perhaps that's the difference between us being a bit more accountable and a bigger company who would go, oh, give, yeah. give an F, why does that matter? We can just go for I it. I mean, kudos to you guys. Like, I really, really respect that because I've been so deeply immersed in the fitness space and have always been looking for the next product. I always feel like I've been one step ahead of what the next trend's going to be. Mm. And I feel like you guys also latched onto that really nicely. Thank you. And people will and are picking up on those things, for I mean, sure. You said it earlier that you were going to do a sort of meal prep with high protein. I mean, look at the space. Yeah. Look, yeah. You know, look what's doing well there. If you'd done that now, you know, you'd be absolutely drowning in cash yeah well, <laughs> unfortunately that didn't didn't kick off for, for many many reasons um there's another question i had yeah. so the taste is great and i i like nice tasting things but i'm also a guy that can do like a very bland situation so am i so am i yeah um and i just wonder if i'm sure you guys have tasted it how does it taste without the raw cane sugar in there really interesting so it's 
a much more bitter product. I think any sort of Swiss chocolatier will tell you that you've got to have, you know, great quality cocoa, uh, a fat in there of some description. So, you know, in, obviously it's milk in, in, um, in uh, chocolate You've got the coconut cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got to have a sweetness to it in some capacity. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's, the, it's one, it's, if, it's, if there's anything that we have in Achilles heel and it's probably our sugar, but we really, we, we it's within our ethos of taking our very natural approach. Mm -hmm. It's the most minimally processed sweet sugar we can get. Um, I think it's one of those things where it's it's a known it's a known evil rather than an unknown evil of something that's highly processed and highly artificial. And I think when you're looking at sugar and you're looking at a product that actually in the plant-based space, a lot of people really struggle to get protein in because a lot of it doesn't taste great. You've got to eat a lot of plants to get protein. So it's like, okay, our aim was how do we get it so it's super accessible to people so that people will drink one and maybe they'll drink two and it's like, you know, at least we're giving them a vehicle to have more protein. I certainly think that, that was the right move. Personally, what I would like is another product like this, yeah, without the sugar, yeah, and just I know that it would I know that it wouldn't be mass produced or sell, but I'm just wondering if if that is a possibility. Is there are these ones called um, I can bleep this out, but for goodness' shakes, yeah, 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 yeah. I know them well. Full of sugar, yeah, yeah. Full, like a, a three, a, one of those has Someone's like sixty, it's sixty grams of sugar. Mm. for the same like mm. quantity literally is it's, four, it's a 490 as well actually exactly the same time. and they have another version of that which they've recently brought out with, with less sugar in it yeah and that's what sparked my curiosity but what do they have in the less sugar version a bunch of sweeteners yeah there we go. It, but, it, but you know what actually we, we are we are looking at doing a, a sort of I say a lighter version if you will slightly yeah. different it's going to be a smaller format uh, it will be for travel but it'll also have a slightly different nutritional mix and i mm. think it's for a slightly different consumer and you're absolutely right I, I think with any startup you want to be going initially at least after the biggest market you can do with for the sure. first product you do otherwise do you have a business and i think the space of people who want something in retail that tastes nice is bigger from a commercial side but i totally agree we, there is a space of people and i'm i include myself in that as you do who would happily have something that tastes a bit less nice because people buy unflavored protein mm. because they don't want like the crazy meatheads out there that are like okay everything's accounted for mac tracking all this stuff they're the kind of people that will buy that flavour, like uh, unflavoured, essentially unflavoured, basically. But but absolutely, that that that's going to be part of the portfolio. Hopefully, as we grow, um, another. And this is well. just my brain going off on another tangent. I love it. So, you're best primed to consume carbohydrates directly after yeah. your workout. Yeah. If you, especially if you're doing glycolytic work, like weights, sprinting, yeah. that kind of thing. So having a bit of sugar is not bad for you at all. Absolutely, yeah. especially if it's raw cane sugar. Yeah. But I also wonder if you could take out a bit of the sugar, this is just a, another flavour, like yeah. the unflavoured version, yeah. and add like, let's say some, some grounded oats or something, and then you've got like a smaller carb and then a more complex carb. Um, almost like a breakfast drink. Almost like a breakfast drink, and yeah. the only alterations would be like slightly less sugar and a little bit of grounded oats. Mm -hmm. I know, look, I don't know the ins and outs of the business, but um, as a consumer, in terms of like what I'm thinking of to drink after a product, there's so much crap on the shelves mm. that's just full of sugar and I just mm. ignore it totally because mm. it's like mm. 60 grams. Mm -hmm. um, and then you got stuff like the Huels and it's like, yeah, but you look at the ingredients in there as well. They're trying to do, they're trying to do what you're doing, but they're not doing it. You guys have got the right ethos. Mm. You've act you're actually implementing what Huel are trying to say that they're implementing. Mm. You guys are actually doing it. You have all these raw ingredients on there. Huel has a bunch of stuff. It's got like the rapeseed oils in there and stuff like that. And it's not the same. Um, so from a consumer's point of view, like this product is something that I would have. 
I appreciate it's, it, man. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm going to have one now. I'm going I'm to go for it, it, if that's all right. No, absolutely. <laughs> you crack on. We originally started off trying to make a product which was... Um, you know, 20 grams of protein and as little as everything else as possible, going back to your point, because we're like, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, it's got some carbs and it's got some fat. And you, you come to realize that nature isn't like that. Nature's balanced in that. Well, sense. nature is packeted. Everything yeah. that you get is packeted in something. Like even sugar is yeah. packeted in the, the cane. Like that's fibrous. Mm. A lot of things like fruits are fibrous. They come packeted with fiber. And when you take the fiber out. And when you take the fiber out, it's not a natural thing mm. for the body to process. It's the same with fats and protein. You're not, whey protein is so condensed in terms of the protein levels. Your body isn't designed to have that form of condensed protein. When you eat protein, typically, historically, it comes packaged in an animal which has fats, which has all other kinds of things in there. The fact of the matter is, our current human state is better able to digest things that are packeted by nature yep. and not processed in a factory somewhere. Um, and what you guys have done <laughs> is you have basically made this middle ground, which hasn't really been explored before. And when people start to cotton on to what you've done, which they already have been doing, I feel like the next wave of this nutrition world is exactly what your product's doing. Mm. So you guys are in there early. I feel like um, you know the next couple of years Hopefully. for you is going to be like uh, even even better than it has been. But I, I hope so, man. I mean, it's sort of like Instagram, isn't it? But running a business is it's all fun and games. But you know, cash is king, and it's not. It's it's, it's no not anyone saying it's easy, but it isn't easy from the sense of you. You've got all the obvious worries of do you have a good product? Uh, are people liking it? Are people buying it? Let's talk more about that. Like, what yeah. is it like on a day-to-day -day basis? How have you managed to scale the team? Mm. Um, what, what, like, how many employees are you guys at now? Because I remember at one point you were just talking about bringing on, um, I think it was social media guys or marketing guys. Yeah, so we it, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, we have... I think it's five now full time, although we have a sort of team that expands contract has and when we need them because things do do that. Um, but we are adding three more people to the team. Um, we're adding a more senior salesperson. We're adding a more junior salesperson. One of the biggest learnings or the things I'm, I'm learning now is that, you know, while it's all great to sort of, you know, be a jack of all trades at the start, you do have to start being able to step away from stuff and, and give someone the, uh, the, the, the sort of, the skills, the knowledge, the the wherewithal, and the confidence to be like, right, you go and do it, and this is how you do it, and and then also sort of, you know, not micromanaging and stepping away and being like, this is yours now. now I'm in the 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 like music acting world, mm. and I've always viewed myself as the product and this as the mm. business. Mm. And when you're talking about scaling and things like that, I I think there's a real dissociation between two things. The first one is as a performer, because I know that a lot of people listening will be also in that music performance business as well. Yeah. As a performer, you, you forget to view yourself as a business. You forget to scale up. You forget to bring in the right people like the social media manager, mm. video. You try and do everything yourself, yeah. which you have to at the start. Yeah. And just like a business, you have to start siphoning off to experts in that field that can do it more efficiently, that can get you better results. And the second thing that I want to touch on with you guys mm. is funding. Mm. As Let's take a musician, for example. Musicians rarely think of themselves as a business and they're like, we need to get funding. Because it's probably 
frowned upon like oh you what you're not making money from your art mm. whereas for some reason businesses don't have that connotation if there's mm. a new business and they're doing fundraising people are clapping good their thing. hands and they're like yeah, yeah. congrats we'll support yeah, that yeah. and it's not always a good thing as well that's not always good. it isn't yeah well we'll, we'll get into that yeah. as well in terms of what you're giving away by taking on that funding mm -hmm, mm. but i think there's a real stigma attached especially to the performing arts industry on doing a kickstarter um for myself for example i my clients and this is what you guys do as well and in this way we have a bit of similarity is i pretty much only work with high tier clients like the venues that i perform at the clients that book me for things um these these are luxury end clients and products and i brand myself as a luxury product and offer mm -hmm. a luxury product mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the guys that you are the the, the places that you're in the, the likes of the waitrose and the soho group mm -hmm. um it's a similar concept yeah and i think there's a stigma attached I, i'm kind of past this stage at the moment but i remember certainly starting out was like how do i get the funding to do these things even mm. the the music like producing your own music this stuff is so expensive and in mm. the music industry you kind of unless you've got a record deal you kind of got to fund it yourself mm. and then the idea of telling people here's a Kickstarter, especially if you're doing luxury end products, it's like, well, you're a luxury product. Why Why do you need to be mm. bringing money from other people? Yeah, yeah. Assuming money um, grows on trees in yeah. your house or something. Yeah, it, it, fundraising is a very weird thing because it's not always a good thing, but you say it's always celebrated. And, and actually for us, it has always been a good thing in the sense that we've always needed the money to grow and we have grown. Um, but... You, you, there's so many pitfalls you know, you, you, we were saying earlier but you have one term in the wrong agreement and all your hard work sort of goes to shit several years later because you didn't really appreciate what that meant but at the start you know we hadn't sold a single shake um, we you know investor was saying I'd like to try it you know we were in the kitchen pouring in the vanilla extract measuring the pea protein shaking the bottle and putting it in the post with a, mm -hmm. uh, a you know an ice pack and it was in a plastic bottle with grounded sample written on it and saying, look at this space, look at the product we can make, look how far we've come with this little money, look perhaps what we could do with this much money. Probably a similar thing, perhaps with your performance stuff, if you're saying, look, this is this is where I'd like to go, this is what I've done with this little resource, imagine what I could do with, you know, properly resourced. And as long as you've got that messaging right and that pitch right, I think it's all about the framing to it. It's much more of an art than a science, I would yeah, say. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. If you want to scale a business to the levels where it's huge, mm. At some point, you need to leverage a form of debt. I just feel like that's the, that's got to be something you bring into consideration because unless you're starting with 500 grand and you can get everything up and running, that sort of thing, you need that capital to get the, the flywheel going and mm. get the revenue coming in. It's, I think it's different in the sense that we are, it, 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 as a, having a product that's not ourselves, it's more scalable in that sense. Yeah. You know, your time isn't so attached to how, how much you can sell or how, how quickly you can yeah. grow it, which perhaps is if, if you're, you are the product. Well, there's that. And then there's, like, for the classic example is the, the record deal. So mm. what you're asking for there is a sum of money let's say you get 500 grand investment which you go to the studio you produce an album and then mm. you distribute and the idea is that you make a million off that mm. and then you give the 500 grand back to the investor plus mm. the plus the whatever interest mm. and then is it usually debt then do they usually do it in a debt capacity massively so interesting massively so so the, in, a, in a typical record deal you would be basically expected to pay off all of the fees involved um and 
until until you did that, you, you're not making any money yourself. Um, but then the argument is, well, you wouldn't be able to afford the studio costs mm. anyway. Sort of like that leverage on you, basically. It is a massive yeah. leverage, yeah. And that's the whole thing of like, you hear about artists that have been screwed over and like um, all that kind of stuff because mm. um, it's all that little bit of legislation. But I just thought it was an interesting thing because I'm, I'm on this fence of like creativity and business and like I think my brain is like, flicks between the two quite a lot mm. which has been beneficial to me like my master's was international management mm. and i've kind of feel like i've used that for the business end of the music as a performer i think a lot of people are very creative minded and sometimes don't think about the business side of things you know there are so many great products that don't have a great business behind them and it's not the obvious thing. It's not the, the thing that you see when you see the product on shelf. But there are so many, you know, in the last year, I can. there's a few brands that have gone under which I so admired, but just perhaps didn't quite have it all together behind the scenes from a business point of view, or maybe they were just a bit unlucky. But yeah, funding is a necessary sort of part of what we're doing. Um, you know, we are trying to scale quickly. We do want to, we do have global ambitions. We are still very much a minnow in that sense. We are getting there in the UK, but there is so much space outside of it. And, mm. you know, you, you go into someone like America, and you need to have a very large wall chest to, to make a dent in it. Mm-hmm. And but that could be a market. I'm sure you guys have explored all these options. But Americans typically, you can have a UK product. Same thing in the US. Even the same company and the the ingredient list in the US mm-hmm. is like way more than the UK version. Um, that's a wild thing that could be your selling point over there. Where it's like, look, we're not going to go with the American way of like pulling it full of e numbers mm. and the rest of it. It's a mental. I was actually talking about this this morning, and it's like it, it, weirdly the US sets food trends before the UK. So you know, where, I don't know, kombucha came out five years before cold pressed juice. But weirdly, while it's still five years ahead in terms of food trends, it's five years behind. I think in standards and quality, and whether it's whether it's animal welfare, whether it's the ingredients as you say. I mean, who uses e numbers now? Mm. That's sort of like a sort of nineties or early two thousands sort of thing, isn't it? But apparently they still do. Yeah. You know, like those those coloured hoops that they have in. I don't know what mm. they call in the US. It's stuff full of them. Yeah, um, it's mental. So yeah, hopefully, hope there's an application there. I mean, again, sort of let much later down the line, and I think you have to nail your home market before you go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want to take a little like ten minutes yeah, sure. break? And yeah, we'll yeah. Do, really it was super. But yeah, it was a good experience. I really enjoyed it and um, I want to do more of that, basically. That's so what. cool, man. That, that That is your scalable part, isn't it? Like, you, you, you can do gigs in these amazing places and they're as prestigious as they are and hard to get into. But, you know, where does that go? That's not scalable past the circuit. You're, you're, you're totally right. Like, my ambitions are would make most people laugh. One of my major I, I remember ambitions it, mate. is... To sing the theme tune for James Bond. And to also play... James. Yeah, 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 yeah. To be, yeah, to be the, the first, only person to be the first actor that plays James Bond. And Mate, also that's great. I love that. I mean, I, I, like, it's so interesting because you know it's that age-old thing of someone's like, that's ridiculous. It's like them saying that about you says so much more about how they think than about what you what you'd like to do in that sense. Since I told you that, mm. I played a show at the Dubai Opera House, which was called I The Sound of Bond. I want to say I've seen loads of that on. on it might have been on, on. Yeah, 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 amazing. And that was with. I mean, firstly, Dubai Opera House, incredible experience, two and a half thousand seats. And Mental. Big band. It was one of my like dreams come true to sing the James Bond. Are you nervous Bond. before you go on? Oh, man. Do you know what? It's, uh, I, I was, yeah. definitely. Mm. And you really have to control your headspace at that point in time mm. because it's, 
you can't let it, you can't let the moment overtake you, mm. and at the same time you've got to immerse yourself. It's a really weird one because. But the adrenaline when you're fucking belting out something must be mental. It was, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, and I, I like both times I played at the Opera House now twice, and both times just like went to my changing room, burst into tears. Really, that that just charged and just like wow, yeah, yeah. and oh, um, that's amazing. Off the back of that, um, two things happened. The first Opera House show, I. I was watched by the Sheikh of Ras Al Khaimah, which is one of the Emirates in UAE. Didn't you do his wedding or something? I did his New Year's Eve party. Wow. Which broke the world record for the largest ever firework display. That was another level. Was it mental? It was uh, just utter un scenes. unbelievable. Really? When I did the Bond show, um, there was, I, I was then picked up on a show called London Never Dies, mm. which was a James Bond show, theatre show, and I got picked up to play James Bond. So I'd have to do the acting and sing the songs from the movie. So I'd be doing fight scenes, like choreographed fight scenes, mm. followed by singing. And I just thought, how uncanny is this towards my goal that I had have been to have set right, for man. a while? Like, I'm now literally playing the role of James Bond and acting the role of James Bond in this theatre production in Dubai, where it's like the experience was unbelievable. I'm like staying in five star hotel, unlimited food. As like buffet, love that. I put on so much weight. I was going to say, difficult on the rig. <laughs> yeah, I, I lost any kind of rig that I had. <laughs> and then I was also doing other shows on top of that, and 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 performing for people in like the desert, and like it was just an amazing time. And um, it that I think having done that now, people are less likely to laugh at my my goal. Yeah, um, I mean, manifesting's a thing, isn't it? It's like yeah, it's one of those things that if you don't understand it or you've not experienced it, it's you can easily scoff at it. And I think. We, I think everyone has done it in some some capacity, whether they call it manifesting. But it it is a thing. It's like you're aligning you're aligning yourself with your future ambitions, and like if you don't say, it, who else is going to say it? For sure. Um, yeah. That's so cool, man. I'm happy for you. That's amazing. I, really, talk, really I cool. talked about it before on this podcast, but the reticular activating system is this part in the brain which filters out stimuli mm. and there's so much stimuli happening even right now there's so much stimuli like that you're not focusing on these lights you're not focusing on this backdrop you're focusing mm. on me and my voice because mm. that's what's most acute to your survival at this point in time mm. and if you can train your reticular activating system on your specific desirable goals then it just starts to pick up on things like small things like emails like words to send and the concept of the law of attraction to me is what is that biological element of filtering out the stuff that isn't necessary and really fine-tuning on to what is mm -hmm. and, um, part of your goals it's so true I, i'm i'm a big sort of manifesting sort of you know shout it from the rooftops because I, I i do i think when i was younger and perhaps sort of you know well definitely less confident and more sort of like i don't know doubting in myself i think I didn't realise the power of just believing that you could do it or, or like going, this is what I'd like to do and putting that on there and like just writing stuff down on a piece of paper. I mean, when me and Gabe raised our first proper round, we wrote 500k and we just st both stuck above our desk and we didn't know that was manifesting, but it sort of was. Mm. And like just reminding ourselves what we were trying to do and just like, you know, things did end up aligning. I think it's great. So it's also when you get those moments where you do realise, oh, this is another step towards it. It's such a nice, it's such a nice feeling to sort of have that, yeah. you know, it's sort of self-verification that you're like, you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Um, that's amazing. How cool, man. How exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm like... So I've, cool. I've, um, it's kind of come a long way since I was busking in the streets of London. And, yeah, um, that looked hard, dude. I remember watching yeah. you do that and thinking, God, we bumped into each other in uh, one of a burger restaurants. Remember that after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randomly, I, I, I had my stuff. I was, we were both as tired as each other. I can't remember <laughs> what I was doing. We were just shattered. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like that, yeah, that's mental. You, uh, uh, there's always a part of someone's 
sort of like journey or process which doesn't get the eyes but it's mm. the core of what made them do what they do and i think whether it's a company whether it's a person like the refining your product or, or, or is yours yours you are the product they you don't you don't see that part because it's not the sort of tip of the iceberg but it's absolutely fundamental to like you know doing something right whether it's building a great product or a great force yeah. or whatever i remember you telling me you said that you know it's it's like training doing this day in day out. It's like great training in front of people, getting used to it. I mean, well, dude, I had to catch up because yeah. I hadn't gone to drama school. Played rugby. I, pl- <laughs> I was just a meathead running around hitting people. Uh, I think after, out of everyone I've known from uni, you've changed the most. I would Probably. say. I mean, yeah. physically as well. From the first. Oh, I don't know, mate. Yeah. You're, you're not small. Um, but the first time I met you, you were sort of, you know, rugby, rugby three and three. That was it. There was nothing else on, you know. But I, did, I, I may have told you this before, but I wanted to use my rugby like Haskell did for the DJing I wanted to use that for the singing and the mm. TV and mm. then I, you may have left uni by the time I did take me out and I think I'd, I think I had yeah and that's when I realised I was like oh shit I could probably do this now right I don't have to wait till because I wanted to play for England and, all, and do all that kind of stuff and like at uni became my realisation that that's not going to happen especially yeah. not in my 20s yeah um, and I I don't know that's a whole other thing was the rugby setup at Exeter like I loved it. I loved it, but it. I don't think I came from an academy contract in the championship where I was like doing really well with rugby to mm. coming to Exeter, and it just never really went the way that I wanted it to go down there, and that's kind of what killed my rugby career. Which I, was, I remember it because I remember you always really worked hard. You know, if someone told you that hey, I want you to play hooker and you need to practice your throwing, you were going to go and do that for hours and on, and and I think. That's probably an overriding thing of why you're you're doing well now. But it, yeah, I I think also with rugby and with people management, it's so reliant on the people who are doing the managing. And I don't think we had bad coaches at Exeter. I think we had great. Ones they were great. They're amazing. But amazing. um, I it, you know you, you, it's just how also how people perceive you as well, and also mm. the other people around you in the certain playing positions, all the rest of it. And um, there are a lot of boys, weren't there at Exeter? As well. You know, it's funny. It's the same thing, and I don't know if you can relate to this in business, but it's definitely the same thing in singing, acting, where there's probably like 50% of people in the industry that could be at the top level. Mm. And a lot of it is to do with like, are you being pushed in the right place by the right person? Like there's hundreds of actors right now that could be playing like top lead roles. Mm. There's hundreds of singers that have better voices than me that didn't get that show at the Dubai Mm, Opera mm, House, mm. that didn't get some of the shows that I'm doing. And a lot of it is about, isn't about the skill. It's mm. not about, it's about how you fit in with a team like rugby. It was like, mm. are you part of this Exeter squad? Are you fitting in with what, what all the other guys are doing? Mm. You might be like the biggest, hardest runner, but we've already got those guys on the field. Mm. We need someone that can hit the, the line out every time. Mm. It's it's very, so how how's that in the business world? Do you find that? Or is it very different? Uh, I think, I mean, it, I, I sort of reflect on, Education for me wasn't. I, I didn't find it really. I'm quite dyslexic. I was never top got, of class. I, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. do do you have any like? Um, so were you diagnosed with dyslexia? Yeah, dyspraxia first, and then sort of developed to dyslexia. Not quite sure how or why. And it, it and th- that was it. That's the only diagnosis. Was yeah, that yeah. Like, it, was, not, it was one of those places you got extra time, and everyone was like. Because oh, I, I don't know if you. I might be completely butchering this, but yeah. did you tell me you had ADD or was that? I think I do. I don't think I've had that diagnosed, but yeah. I've still got all the, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, this is literally a description of me and my, you know, I, one of the things I'm awful at and then sort of when I was doing internships, you get given the menial stuff, which is sort of like, you know, like sort of matchstick counting sort of vibes. Mm. And I was always awful at that. So slow. And I think, Christ, I'm bad at this. How's anyone going to think I'm any d- decent at anything else? 
And one of the things that they do apparently is sort of you're just you're you're awfully slow with those sort of tasks. And anyway, there's lots of other ones apparently mm. that I sort of aligned to. But that was one of the thought. This is just not. This is this is not good. All of the highest people that I've worked with, I'm talking CFOs, CEOs. Mm. All of them that I've encountered have had either or both dyslexia and ADD, which I find really interesting. Maybe that makes you better at one part, but sort of by the same weighted, much worse at another part. But perhaps if you need one sort of skill or one thing that you're very, very good at, maybe that works. I think the thing that I reflect on that I really enjoy, and I'd like to think I'm sort of quite good at problem solving. I think running a business, you've got to solve a lot of problems. Uh, I think I'm good at, very good at managing my stress and like thinking under pressure. I was never on the sports side of things. I always got super nervous for games when I was younger. I was so nervous and that definitely affected say my ability to play, play rugby or whatever it was. But I think I've got very good at splitting that sort of that sort of it's irrational stressing about something that ultimately perhaps you can't change and really focusing on what you can change. And when things aren't necessarily going the way you want them to, not being attached to that emotionally, it's almost like a natural reaction. Everyone is attached to their own business if they're, if they're, if they're running one. And if their business is going well, they're feeling awful. And it doesn't need to be the case. It's like, in fact, it's increasing your chances of it going awful if you feel awful about it. And if you're positive and you keep doing what you're doing, if that is the right thing, you're thinking smart, then then that, that's going to have a far greater positive effect than um, sort of getting worried about it and maybe making you make emotional decisions. How did you arrive to that? headspace that you're in now uh having years where i didn't do as many fun things as i wanted to i missed holiday to friends i was worried about what would happen um you know grounded uh knowing looking back and going that actually made no difference at all i remember hearing a podcast johnny wilkinson he was like you know i look at amazing games that i played and for a lot of my career i didn't enjoy it at all i look back now that i've stopped playing and think god that you know what a shame that was mm. and those sort of stories and lived experience of going you know, like working long hours on stuff that wasn't making a difference and just working smarter and harder rather than just hard. Um, I realized that like it's important part of the full journey to give yourself those breaks, to have weekends away with your girlfriend or boyfriend or to have time with your family, to have beers with your, your, your pals. And like, if you don't do those and you, you're not, you're not really committed to those spaces and keeping them sort of not separate, but you know, if you're at work, you're at work. If you're in the gym, you're in the gym. If you're with your family, with your family and you're present, that that's a hugely important part of it. Mm. So many people do burn out and burning out is like a silent thing. And I think also it's just like, let's not, let's not all forget that it's our life and we, it's to be enjoyed Mm. or if it's not to be enjoyed, I don't know. It doesn't see a huge amount of point doing it, but yeah, it's like the whole philosophical thing. Um, was it Socrates? It's like, um, you know, people, they work so hard to get the money when they're younger so that when they're older they can use that money back in their health but th- but they were healthy when they were younger yeah sort of thing yeah that's something i think about a lot like i i'm it's obvious that you do as well like keeping after you're looking after your body as well and not getting yeah. so sucked into the moment where you're like no i, I won't eat now i won't sleep now mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in in our society like when we live in a concrete jungle in london mm. sometimes you forget and like one of the best things about travel is it really reminds you that life isn't just about the concrete jungle mm. and the business like you get so ingrained in your business you can sometimes forget that like there's so much going on out there my friends already take the mic out me for this but i i do really I love traveling different places and it's um it's just it is it's a nice it's a nice break from things and I also feel like having lived in London for pretty much all my life 
that it's my way of sort of self-medicating wanting to live somewhere else permanently for a while mm. um, maybe that will happen in the future I don't know but where, where would you go if you had to uh, I don't know Australia maybe perhaps yeah. Australia maybe the I saw America's a controversial one and I really don't know if I'd want to live there now though when I was younger I did but maybe sort of on the west coast because it's such a big health food aspect to it I mm. think that'd be an interesting place to live from a sort of you know yeah. work side of things but yeah we're, we're considering I, I'm at a stage in my career where I'm considering jumping field like i've built up a great reputation in this jazz community at the top venues mm. and i'm like you know i'm, I'm the first name out the hat for some mm. of these places and it but i've done them i've done them i love it but i want more for my career mm. so i'm at the stage where it's like do i change lanes yeah and kind of leave the lane that i'm in or do i stick to it and me and olivia were chatting we were saying like look do you want to uh, we've lived in dubai for a while um we I've spent some good time in Switzerland. I've I've had work in various places in Europe. So we've got to travel. Her family lived in Brazil for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Her dad now lives in China. Um, we know people in the US. And we're now at a stage where we're like, look, get a spreadsheet together, put out all the possible options, weigh up the pros and cons work-wise. My girlfriend is in an industry where she can do remote work as well. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of looking at it from a perspective where she can get a good job and I can further my career, not only like, it's not about changing lane, it's about uh, leapfrogging. I've, I've always phased things out and leapfrogged mm. to the next thing. So when I was a busker and that was my main thing, mm. that's what my Instagram feed would have read. And then slowly as I got these gigs and restaurant gigs, I phased out the busking to the point where I was no longer doing it and then completely eradicated all of history of it on my stuff. And then I was like, look here, I'm a, and now it's got to a point where it's like, I've only, kind of advertise the high-end stuff that the clubs and 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 the theater shows that i'm doing so now i want to leapfrog to the next thing and the tv and film whatever it is so we're we're also in a similar boat where we're like we could live somewhere mm. um but where, where would you live for that sort of thing so far we've uh, the uae is is incredible for have you done business out there we've, we're doing more and more in the middle east actually yeah probably the one market that we've started to get the ball rolling in that we haven't had you know, we, we've exported a little bit, but the Middle East is the biggest one so far. So yeah. Spinney's, Spinney's mean more than you that does me. I mean, lots of retailers there, they don't have a product like ours and they're also very similar minded in terms of wanting to have healthy things and, and ultimately having probably more money than less. And we are a premium product in that sense. So we sort of fit the bill quite well. So yeah. we're doing more and more, but yeah, so uh, that, that only been once. So, so I, I, I have done an accumulation of about six, seven months in living in Dubai um, I've been in Saudi for a while. I would say that Dubai is now very much commercialized and your brand would fit in beautifully over there. They love the, the, the coined term is that um, Dubai was, um, I forget how it's phrased, but it's like something like owned by Arabs, built by Brits. Sort of mm -hmm. thing. The amount of British expats over there is unbelievable. Really? Just everywhere? The culture of this party scene is over there at the moment as well and it's changed dramatically the last five five years even um and now dubai is the place to go for like business for european type business as well mm. um and then you've got places like ras al Khaimah, saudi arabia which are like up and coming and they're kind of what dubai was 20 years ago um and i rode the wave massively in dubai for entertainment stuff and whilst i was there i sort of was like okay i know a guy out there who's a brit he sells these bottles these gin bottles and he's got them in spinnies um nice. and what's the product i i forget what the selling point is mm. but it's basically a gin bottle which with with a slight usp i got you um, got you got you and they're now sold in spinnies 
Um, so we've considered Dubai, we've considered Saudi, they're, they're, to be brutally honest, like mm. their women's rights aren't up to a level where I'd be comfortable with the ball, yeah. um, letting Olivia live. Like yeah. they've come a long way. They've come a long way. Yeah. I did a show out there for a government show. They're yeah. a changing place, but so we've considered Dubai, Saudi, we've considered China, um, we've considered the US and in terms of entertainment, acting, singing, there's what else is I'm always trying to look outside the box. Mm. Um, maybe the US, but I think... I mean, New York, LA, New York, the sort LA. of obvious ones, aren't they? They're, they're, the, they're the obvious ones, but then is it oversaturated? In terms of moving forward with Grounded, obviously yeah. you've got the two... At the moment, you've only got the two flavours, yeah. the yeah, uh, mint the and the chocolate. Yeah. Um, what's next? Like, Is there anything round the corner? We have another flavour coming. We, our, our simple mission is to make the cleanest protein shake on the planet, and we feel that's achievable because, one people everywhere need protein so it's not sort of you know specialist thing that you have to do uh, also the cleanest is not the the you know it's not the best tasting or the best nutritionals it's the cleanest it's ingredients focused and it's like how do we make something with the best ingredients possible that is as minimally processed as possible and it's going to take a lot of work on our home home country home market um before we go elsewhere properly um but that that is the aim you know we want grounded to be one of those brands where when you pick it up you really trust it well i I'm, wish you all the best of luck with it like, like it's i personally think it's amazing thank you Nick. and i I really hope it does well. Thank you. And and also as a friend as well. It's, it's so nice to see somebody giving their all to something. I think it's so admirable and putting blood, sweat and tears into like we didn't we haven't really touched on like some of your hard times as well. I know you mm. guys went through some really tough times. Well, we can, but I went I went I went, you know, we went sort of bleat those out. You can absolutely that's the majority of it. Yeah. <laughs> your cash flow situation at one point I remember you talking about was like you're wondering how you're going to like hit the payroll on some of these things and, and mm. you did have one time where we sent an email on a Tuesday and if it hadn't come back with a yes on the Thursday like you know I don't think we'd have turned the lights off but like it was I'm not sure what we'd have done but it wasn't going to be a good 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 situation and so that it's funny people think food because they're, most food is made by big companies it's so consistent it doesn't change it's got lots of stuff in it to make it, it so that all behind the scenes there are so many things that go on you know food changes over time it changes taste it changes flavour profile it changes less so when you use artificial ingredients because they don't change and they don't sort of develop and mature or whatever um and you know trying to make a consistent product with really natural ingredients consistently have it taste great good you know good consistency actually in the products you know it's really really difficult and you take something that's been very very high heat treated like i don't know some tomato sauce like there's going to be the same pretty much every time yeah um, but the less you process something, the the more chance you've got of it tasting slightly different. And I think a lot of food companies could take many leaves out of your books because I would love to see the whole food industry change to the direction that you guys are doing. Mm, and, you, and we're getting to the point now where we're eating so much processed food that is actually declining our longevity. And if you guys show and lead the flag and show that it's possible to be profitable and like do well and over the next couple of years things go really well for you guys i think i think other companies will look at it and be like oh we want to do that as well it is possible that would be cool that would be super cool i mean you know let's get to set a trend to set a, a trend of being able to produce something that is healthy natural and not not bullshit healthy natural yeah it, it is really difficult you can see why these big companies don't do it because why would you not put a emulsifier in if you wanted it to taste you know be smoother um if you could like why would you not you know so so therefore everyone does and therefore they, they never work out a way of doing it without it mate 
I wish you all the best with it. It's so nice. Like I Thank said before, you, it's so nice to see someone that I know doing something so passionately, like giving their all to it. And you're going to be more successful and more successful. You can just tell from from someone's uh, ambition and personality. So I honestly wish you the best for it. I Thanks so much, man. Likewise. Thank you for having me, man. It's been cool. a pleasure. It's a first, basically. So I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, you're a natural behind the camera. <laughs> ah, so. Thank you. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see, won't we, after this? <laughs> <laughs> Wicked job, mate. Awesome. Thanks, man. Pleasure. Yeah, appreciate it. Oh.